Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of Yankin' a Swede, a Premier League podcast I'm Sebastian Norin, you're Swede, with me, Elliot Niblock, you're Yank, and boy, did we have a Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's putting it mildly, my goodness, uh, and it looked until six minutes into stoppage time nearly that it was really just going to be one derby that had uh, a lot of news about it from this Lord's Day, but we ended up with both. Yeah, that's true. We're going to start in the middle with Arsenal beating Tottenham 4-2 to at the Emirates. And um, a couple of goals by Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Like I said, got on the score sheet as well, as did Lucas Torreira. And I know that you're partial in this, but was this one of the better games of the season so far? Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, definitely. Was and it I think best? that... Um... It has some claim to be. I think that it was better than the Tottenham-Chelsea derby just because it was more hotly contested. The tempers flared a little more, and, you know, for a time, each side really looked like they might actually win it. Um, So, yeah, I I would also actually point to the, the... the failed comeback of Wolves against Tottenham is another game that I felt was really interesting, but yeah, sure. How I'm Arsenal and it's a North London Derby that Arsenal won in scintillating fashion. Why not? I'll call it the best game of the season. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So (laughs) really, you got to draw, got to draw that strong claim out of me. I mean, a really good win for Arsenal. They're in great form right now. And now they're up in fourth place. Yeah, Tottenham, Tottenham line the gap. I mean, although there is no gap, they're only in fourth on goal difference. But look, this is a game that really put Unai Emery's stamp on this team. And I said this in our last episode in the preview that he seems to feel the weight of this. And regardless of the quote-unquote power shift in North London, he should feel that weight. Because if you are the Arsenal manager, you're expected to beat Spurs at home and not only did they come out of the gate in fine form, which is something that we haven't seen this season, even though, of course, we continued the talking point of, oh, Arsenal always trail at the break because after a somewhat borderline penalty decision combined with a dodgy bit of goalkeeping to have Arsenal be 2-1 down, nonetheless, we came off the block strong, which is what he wanted and what we wanted to see from his side. And then after that, Not only did the team itself respond to the adversity of being down a goal in a big high-pressure match, but Emery showed some balls by making the decision to have two changes at halftime in bringing on Ramsey and Lacazette. I think that Mkhitaryan was somewhat mediocre. I think that getting Ramsey and Lacazette on the pitch was the right decision. A little sad for Awobi because I thought he had a fine first half, but... 
But it was the right call. And they came out in the second half and dominated. And, you know, it from from a neutral perspective, a hotly contested big game with six goals and a red card. Yeah, that's that's nice from a neutral perspective, obviously. Again, also, obviously, it's nice to see Arsenal win. But it had all of those talking points of A, you start strong. B, you respond well. C, you close out the game. This is a dream scenario for the Gunners and Gooners all across the world. So Ramsey picking up two assists coming on at, at halftime, and like you said, is there is it still like sort of a foregone conclusion that he will leave the club? Or so I would have said that I would have said that a week ago, but with Ertzel cutting a clearly dejected figure on the bench last match day with him not even traveling with the squad. Supposedly he had some back soreness, which to be fair, I've been suffering from back problems this week. So I feel you, Masood. But, but you know, it's not unknown that Ertzel doesn't, you know, that he that he's left out of a squad for, they call it an injury, but maybe they're keeping things behind closed doors. I, at this point... Wouldn't be surprised to see Ertzel leave not only in the summer, maybe even in January. And if Ertzel goes in January, Ramsey stays. But if Ramsey stays, then, well, all that money that you just took off the books in the shape of Mesut Ertzel, you pour into the contract of Aaron Ramsey. And, you know, maybe that's maybe that's one of the reasons that the the contract talks have stalled is that Emery said, look, I need I need another month to decide which of these midfielders I really see playing a role in this squad moving forward. Cause he hasn't been in charge that long. No. I so, mean, which one of them do you see fit better in the system though? I've got, I've got to say Ramsey, to be honest. I mean that, that kind of, and I think that, let me preface this by saying, I think Ertzel gets an unfair amount of stick because of his loping gait that he's often seen as more lazy than he actually is. He covers a lot of ground, but yeah, he looks lazy. Yeah, he looked. It looked, but again, that's just down to his gait, like how he runs. It kind of, it seems like kind of lollygagging. But he's a hard worker. I still don't think that he has that kind of intensity that Ramsey brings that suits the pressing style of play that Emery wants to play. And yeah, I think that actually it's a case in point that. In the Eric Dyer goal, like he antagonized the fans. Well, women is rights to do that, of course. You know, you you should you should taunt the fans a little bit when you're in a, a derby match. That's fine. He's within his rights to do that. Some flare ups on the touchline, and you see Ramsey getting in Deli Ali's face. And I just have to wonder: was it totally incidental, like accidental that that happened, or did Emery himself notice that and say, "That's the kind of fire I want on the pitch." And like whether or not it played into his decision to bring Rambo on in the second half, Rambo had an impact. That kind of intensity is why he suits Emery's style of play. So we'll see. I mean, I'm not sure that it's a either or binary opposition, keep Ertzel or keep Ramsey, sell one or the other. But if we sell both, then boy, we've got some rebuilding to do. And so, you know, maybe you do sell one and not the other. And if it's Ertzel, then we've got to restructure Ramsey's contract pronto. Yeah, I mean, really, I think Ramsey might be better per pound spent. Because like you said, Ertzel, it seems like it, there's either it's super high or it's super low. The yeah. middle ground isn't really there. Whereas Ramsey, and 
he's perfect for a game like this. We have this romantic notion that you have some players that have come up through the youth ranks. They know what this derby means. They're wearing their, you know, their emotions on their sleeve. You know, you got to love that. Yeah, got absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that his, I personally see a lot of sense in selling Ertzel and holding on to Ramsey, um, in part because of the contract situation, right? Like, yeah, Ertzel's big contract means maybe you're not going to get as much from him, but Ramsey's contract is running down. So you're in a better bargaining position in terms of the years, even if the salary makes it a little harder to shop him around. But if Arsenal, if Arsenal make it known surreptitiously that Mesut Ertzel is for sale, there will be suitors around Europe. And whether or not he himself wants to, uh, farther afield in China as well. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, like, which level of club do you think that would be going after a player like Ertzel? I mean, I think that he... Like, his, are, are we talking Juventus-Napoli type, Inter Milan, or are we talking Barcelona-Real Madrid? I think the former. I think the former. I think that he... Well, I don't know. You know, Barcelona have a history of snapping up maybe slightly long-in-the-tooth Arsenal players on big contracts who then mostly just sit on the bench. And it's not as though the way that Ertzel left the Bernabeu, there's going to be a deep-seated sense of, oh, no, I could never play against the Galacticos. Yeah. You know, he so maybe maybe Barcelona, there is a chance in part just because of, like you know, the that money that's flying around there. I think more likely are a Napoli, a Juventus. Uh, I could even see him. I could even see him playing for Bayern or Dortmund. I think his wages are maybe borderline too high for Dortmund, but. You know, I mean, we've already seen that there's, with Sven Mislintat, uh, at least open channels of dialogue going on yep. between the Waldstadion and the Emirates in the shape of the Bamiang transfer, etc. So, uh, yeah, maybe maybe he would land in Dortmund. And especially if Dortmund are selling Pulisic, yeah, if, you, if you sell Pulisic for $65 million and you buy Mesut Ertzel for $45 million, that's that's not a that's not a terrible piece of business from Dortmund's perspective. No, not at all. Yeah, it will be interesting to see here what they end up doing. Uh, if we uh, move over to the Merseyside derby between Liverpool and Everton, also a game with emotions on their sleeves, and what a freaking finish in this one! Divock Origi in the sixth overtime minute. Scores the lone goal of the game. Yeah, boy, Oof. never would have never would have thought that uh, Divac Origi would be the hero. But you know, uh, hearing his name ring out, unexpected but welcome for all of those at Anfield. Uh, it's it's a little hard from uh, an Everton perspective because I think the Blues really deserved a point in this, uh, and I think that. The re- really the most frustrating thing is that Jordan Pickford, whose standard deviation in this match was huge because he had some woeful moments and then also made some great saves. But in the end, 
it was a moment of woe because I think that ball is going over the bar. Yes. I think that yeah, ball that, is going over the bar, that's and then he palms it back into play. Um, and yeah, that's definitely a mistake on his side, and you can see he sort of took the blame for it. Um, yeah. What do you think of Jurgen Klopp running onto the field to celebrate? I that goal? I love it. You love I it, absolutely but is love it, it. Is it okay? Um, I'm not sure that it's okay. I love the enthusiastic yeah. nature of it and everything. It's you're at home, so I guess that sort of mitigates it a little. Well, all right. Let me not. Let's get away from the is it or is it not okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, no setup. Does it deserve to be punished in some capacity? Yes. Does that punishment, should that punishment be a touchline ban? Mm, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, because, because it's one thing to, it's one thing to, you know, confront the opposing manager in their technical area. And of course, thinking of the iconic moments of, uh, Wenger and Ferguson, and even more so, both more recent and more acrimonious, Wenger and Mourinho. You know those those kind of things when you're you're leaving your area in, in order to yeah, in anger. start a confrontation. Yeah. yeah, antagonism is one thing. You know, joy celebrating with your players is another. Uh, he could have been forgiven to assume that it was the last kick of the ball. I guess head slash shoulder of the ball in this yeah. case. And I'm, I imagine that's probably what he would say. You know, I haven't seen his post-match presser, so I don't know for certain. But if you assume that, like, it's running onto the field after a penalty kick, you know, there were, there were, if I'm not mistaken, this was after the already allotted amount of stoppage time. Mm-hmm. You might have assumed that the whistle was going to blow. Who could hear that whistle over the pandemonium at Anfield following that goal anyways? So I, I imagine that, whether it's a little bit of revisionist history or not, that's probably the tack that he'll take in saying, "Oh, I thought that you know, I thought the match was over." Yeah. But uh, but I would hate I would hate to see him banned from the touchline for that, you know, because it's not yeah yeah it's crossing a line, but it's the kind of thing it's like taking your shirt off as a red card or excuse me a yellow card, you yeah, know, that's like that's that's a stupid rule. Yeah, it is kind of stupid, but but it's it's meant to it's meant to to you know have some humility and celebration. But you know that when you're celebrating, you know that that's the consequence. And so, okay, maybe well, running out onto the field after a goal is you're slapped with a twenty thousand dollar fine or whatever. It's twenty thousand pound fine, yeah. something like that. But. I, I just I don't think that it I don't think that he deserves to miss a match in the technical area and sit in the stands because of it. No, I agree with that, and I think part of why they started helling, uh, they changed the rule with pulling your shirt off was that we were starting to see a lot of players having messages on T-shirts underneath and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so that's. But of course, you can out. always just like pull your shirt up over your head and have the message on there anyway. But true. Yeah. Yep. So Liverpool, they stay in second place. They are two points behind Manchester City, who got a 3-1 win over Bournemouth on Saturday. Uh, we had a third derby game. That was the first game of the day. Chelsea beating Fulham 2-0. Goals by Pedro and Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Pedro scored in the fourth minute. 
off the cheek in the 82nd minute. So um, quite a uh, big gap there between the goals. But a, all in all, it was a solid performance by Chelsea. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're, uh, they'll probably be <laughs> almost as much as City crestfallen by that late Divock Origi goal. Uh, that, that, but they're, they continue to make the title race. I mean, Liverpool is really making the title race a race, but, you know, Chelsea maintain themselves at least in that conversation to some extent. I don't know. I mean, it, yes, we've played 14 games, only 14 games. I'm doing air quotes, but they're already seven points behind City. I think that's too much. That's how good City are. I think Liverpool being just two points behind, that's that's still a race. Yeah, I mean, another another team besides this City team, seven points would seem not insurmountable at this point in the season. But... I, I mean, they still only do have only one loss, and I they're and I, you know I, I say that for good reason that they are the dark horse, but they're they're at least keeping conversation from being it's totally a two horse race, even though they're rightfully uh, far distant in third. But I mean, I'll, you know, all credit to them. It's yeah, yeah, I mean, and they're we'll see how you know we're getting into that festive period here now, so games are going to fly. They're going to come at us quick and dirty. We got midweek fixtures this week. So yeah. uh, we'll see after that. I mean, on on New Year's Day or something, we might have a totally different scenario. Then they might be four points behind or they might be 12 points behind. So uh, it's a lot of good things to look forward here in December. Uh, as we are now only at the time of recording about three weeks away from Christmas. I'm yeah. gonna go get my treat today. Feliz Navidad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got a. Uh, well, we don't need to get into that, but I got an advent calendar. That's about it. Oh, I got I got my daughter an advent calendar with the chocolate one. Well, I actually got this um, for a friend of mine who is allergic to chocolate, so I had to order a Haribo calendar from Germany. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, it exists. It's still an advent calendar. Hey, you can get um, all kinds of great advent calendars now. You can get a bourbon one. You can get a cheese one. What? Yes. Oh, man. Haribo seems suddenly so disappointing. <laughs> yeah, Haribo mocked Kinderfro, but doesn't mock Elliot Fro. That's more bourbon's job. Yeah, I mean, the the bourbon one I was looking at, but they're kind of pricey. Uh, but yeah, they're doing, oh, that's a great they're gift. doing all kinds of good stuff. There's a socks one. If you like socks, I actually, I would love that. I lose socks. Like it's my job. Okay. Let's get back to the football. Note. <laughs> uh, one game we want to touch upon from the Saturday slate of fixtures and that's Manchester United. And, <laughs> yeah. Another disappointing game as they only got a two, two draw on the road against Southampton. They were down to nothing within 20 minutes in this game. And then thanks to Lukaku and Herrera, they at least salvaged a point. Marcus Rashford picked up two assists. So that's always something. But once again, this team is just woefully disappointing. And uh, reports coming out afterwards that uh, Mourinho and Pogba had a spat in the dressing room. Mourinho, <laughs> Mourinho allegedly calling Pogba a virus. 
So, uh, uh, lovely. Yeah, there's there's no uh, holiday joy and Christmas spirit in the United locker room, it seems like. No, I think that... Mourinho is the Grinch, though. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And he loves it. He loves being the Grinch. He is the star of the movie. He is the villain character who still ends up somehow being the hero at the end, at least he would always assume. I wonder... I wonder, I wonder if he's going to make it through December. I mean, I don't think that things are as abysmal as they were for United when, or excuse me, for United now as they were when he last got sacked from Chelsea in December. But, I mean, the qualification for the Champions League is big. You know, I think that that would be really easy to point to if he failed to qualify then okay well that's a big talking point but you know let's let's look ahead just a little bit because in addition to hosting Arsenal on Wednesday an Arsenal team that is now coming off a huge win a win in which I was kind of drawn into ultimately saying the best game of the season so far I I expect this game to be a draw at best for United Mm -hmm. Knocking on wood, of course. But I think that, you know, you draw, maybe even lose to Arsenal. Then you host Fulham at home. Maybe you assume to win that game. So let's say even, let's say you lose to Arsenal. You take all three points off Fulham. You play Valencia in a meaningless game because you've qualified. And then you travel to Anfield. If you, if, if they get run out of Anfield after Everton nearly made a draw there, and that's December 16th, right around the time that Mourinho was fired from Chelsea, it's not unthinkable that he gets the sack. And I think especially if he drops points against both Arsenal and somehow manages to drop points against Fulham as well, his job is on the line at Anfield. Yeah. I mean, it already should be on the line. That's the problem, though. Oh, yeah, but, you know, the payout clause, all that money. Yeah. All that money. But I, I don't think that... Like, let, let's look at the table for a second. United are sitting in 7th on 22 points. Behind them are Leicester City on 21, both Bournemouth and Watford on 20. If they drop points in both of their next two fixtures, which, as I just said, I expect them to against Arsenal. Uh, I mean, it's still hard to go into Old Trafford. I wouldn't be shocked to see United somehow come out with all three points. But if they drop points in that game... I have to expect at least one of those three teams to pick up points. Yeah. And so suddenly you're smack bang in the middle of the table at 8th, ninth, maybe even 10th place. So, you know, this is like that's that is unacceptable. That is unacceptable for a club that boasts the title of arguably biggest in the world, certainly biggest in England. You know, and of course, some Liverpool supporters would uh, likely take issue with that. But hey, y'all are challenging for the title, and United are—we're talking about mid-table, so settle down. No, that's true. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting, and I mean, I don't think that a uh, having a go at your star player is going to help things. Even though Pogba's body language hasn't looked good, it hasn't. But I think that's because of Mourinho. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I'm not one to canonize Paul Pogba in all this, right? Like, I think that he, 
He seems to me, I, I don't think I would call him a virus. No. <laughs> but he's he's not one to be the I am above the drama kind of cool and collected captain leader. You know, he like he he does get drawn into these things, but I still don't think that he's at fault. And I also think that even, you know, even if he was a little bit at fault, you've still got to give more credit to the man on the pitch who sells the shorts, who is a recent World Cup champion, than the man in the dressing room who has a history of creating a toxic atmosphere in dressing rooms when he is paid not to score goals and create assists, but specifically be that leader of men. Yeah. And not everybody's willing to follow at the moment. No, it's uh, oof. it's tough. We have spoken about it before. It's just it's hard to watch the games. It's it's so poor. And like we said, they play Arsenal at home on Wednesday. That's sort of the marquee matchup of the midweek fixtures. I'm I'm not super excited for the Slater games. We have to be totally honest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, sort of a. I mean that that's just how it is sometimes. I guess. Yeah, I mean you and. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe it's uh, St. Nicholas Day, I guess, on the 5th. Is that right? I don't know. I'm not, I don't celebrate St. Days. I have no idea. <laughs> no, it's St. Sancta Lucia in Sweden on the 13th. Oh, so 13th. St. Lucia? Is that how you say it in English, maybe? I don't know. Sorry, guys. I'm not Catholic. I no. really don't know. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I think that there, I mean, there are a couple Wolves, Chelsea. Yeah, Wolves-Chelsea, I would say. that That's a game that could be kind of interesting but also I'm just, i actually i'm gonna watch 15 minutes of that and then i'm gonna switch over to manu arsenal yeah of course and i'm also interested i i think that fulham leicester could be a match that will have some intrigue um you also, know i think that you can watch 15 minutes of before switching over to manu arsenal yeah yeah i mean leicester are leicester are clear favorites but fulham are playing at craven cottage and they've They've really got to get something from that game. Smack bang the model bottom of the table with eight points. Yeah, that is not good. One win in their last five, only two wins so far. Burnley down to 19th now after their loss against Crystal Palace. And then Southampton also underneath the drop line in the drop zone. Huddersfield, Cardiff. Cardiff took a very important win over Wolves, 2-1. to one. Yeah, um, I think that Cardiff are there. I mean, it's way too early to talk about being safe, but that's uh, that's yeah, huge for them yeah, staying. Yeah, Eleven 16. points won't do it. Sorry. No, yeah, they're only two points clear of the drop. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so bad if a team managed to stay up with eleven points. Oh God, I I, I think that's mathematically impossible. Yeah, maybe. Uh, is it? I don't know. Some statistician out there can let us know. Yeah. I don't know how, yeah, we'll have to dig deep and see what was the lowest amount of points anyone has ever stayed up with in the Premier League era. Uh, but let's uh, switch gears here. We're going to wrap things up talking about the U.S. men's national team who finally appointed a new manager. And it's going to be Columbus Crew manager Greg Berhalter who takes over. Setting the world on fire with the ambition in this one am i right i mean my sort of experience with 
Bearhalter was when he coached in Sweden because he coached Hammarby for a bit after he was the assistant at LA Galaxy and then he went to Hammarby. Uh, All right, so tell us tell us about his time in Sweden, Seb. It was it was not very good. Yeah, he had a uh, win percentage of thirty nine point one three in forty six games. Uh, he lasted about a year and a half. Took over in December 2011, and then he got the the can in July 2013. So my response to this appointment is somewhat, perhaps irony is the right word, uh, certainly contradictory because I cannot emphasize enough how underwhelmed I am. So I am extremely underwhelmed. And if there's such a thing as being extreme and being underwhelmed, that is how I feel about this. I mean, was, I can, this, was this a safe, let's get an American in? No, it's barely even safe. Yeah, I guess it's, I guess it's safe. Sure. We'll call it safe. Safe is, I think, almost too kind for it. Um, co- shows a complete lack of ambition. Uh, the the best thing you could possibly say about it is that there's some desire to get back to the kind of scrappy rely on physical fitness to eke out wins as we did against Algeria at the World Cup in South Africa, you know, that kind of team mentality. But that's that's no kind of ambition at all. And I don't I don't think for a minute that the majority of United States supporters will be happy with this appointment. Okay, one thing that I did not know, that apparently Bearhalter was the first American coach to coach a team in Europe. Okay, and you said that he had a mediocre time at one of Europe's, no offense, smallest leagues. Yeah. No, I'm I'm just surprised that it took until 2011 for for an American coach to get a job in Europe. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely an anti-American bias in European football for sure. Uh, but also, again, speaking of the quality of football in the U.S. versus in uh, most European countries, yeah, we've we've got some catching up to do. No. I just I, mean, I think that and there's a little bit of nepotism there too because AEG who owns the LA Galaxy holds a 49% stake of Hamarby and oh, yeah. Chris Klein was on their board. Oh yeah, there's definitely some nepotism there. <laughs> so, I mean, when he when he took over, they were in the second division and he got him promoted. And uh, okay, so I've I've how yeah. has his time with the Columbus Crew been though? I mean, he, the Columbus Crew have had some success under him. They haven't been, you know, they haven't also lit the world on fire. Uh, they reached the MLS Cup final once in 2015, and they lost to none other than the Portland Timbers, who are returning to the MLS Cup on Saturday. And I'm so happy about it. I'm a Timbers fan, if anybody who's out there listening didn't know. Um, I'll refrain from singing the songs, but I'm, yes, I'm over the moon about this. Uh, so yeah, you know, he made the playoffs, uh, 14, 15, 17, 18, you know, he, he had success with the team in MLS. Um, 
And another thing, I'm, I'm trying trying to read this mostly empty bottom of a beer can is half full. Uh, boy, that's that's really bearing the lead. Uh, but he has had playing experience abroad in a significant number of different contexts. Um, you know, he's played in England, he's played in Germany, he's played in the Netherlands. The one thing that I think stands out to me that is is maybe the most encouraging of all is that he left the University of North Carolina where he was playing with the Tar Heels his junior year and he did not go to a domestic team. He signed with a club in the Netherlands. Mm, he signed with Zola. Yep. Yeah. And, and the fact that he showed that ambition in the early 90s to go play in Europe, I think suggests that, you know, and nobody should in their mid-40s be assumed that the mentality they had as a, you know, when they were in their early 20s should dictate that, but that he made that move then and has that experience coming up through those leagues, I think means that perhaps, perhaps, he can be that kind of mentor for players who are making those decisions. You know, a player like Tyler Adams, for example, who is at this stage in his career, a similar age that Burhalter was himself when he decided to go abroad. And he can counsel them in a way that has played both domestically and abroad. And he can speak to what it's like to cut your teeth in leagues around Europe and also the experience of saying, yeah, you know, I struggled, I struggled to find a foothold, but he also played all across Europe. I mean, the team for which he has the most appearances is Energy Cottbus in uh, the German leagues. And I I couldn't tell you which what Bundesliga level they were at in the early aughts when he was playing for them. But that experience is the asterisk that makes me want to read, as I called it, a mostly empty beer can as closer to half full at least, but it's certainly not, you know, it's, it's not a star power appointment like the dream of Arsene Wenger that I had that dies today. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see how his first squad looks. It's going to be interesting though. And like you said, hopefully he can be a good, uh, sort of, uh, what do you call it? Mentor or a, we used to have some ball plank, as we say in Swedish, Sort of a sounding board, I guess. Ah, for the, for the ball, plank. ball plank, which means just ball wood. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, like the kind of like the board, the tennis courts. Yeah, play against. yeah, pretty much. So, and hopefully he'll get some of these youngsters to realize that. Yeah, I should probably head out to Europe. I shouldn't be staying in the MLS for five years before, you know, either becoming a career MLSer or then trying to take the step over to Europe. Because uh, we've already seen plenty of players sort of squander their, you know, best years. I think if Giazzi Sardis would have left the MLS three or four years ago, he would have been a totally different player today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and he's That is also going to be interesting. Is he is Sardis going to have a, like a given spot here now, seeing that he played for Columbus and did pretty well? <laughs> Well, so that'll be interesting because he has resurrected his career to some extent, but yeah, he's 27. I mean, his his career is going to be as uh, one of the top 10% forwards 
in MLS, okay. which is fine, but it's fine, but it's know, not great. No, it's it's not. I mean, I, I don't expect a lot, maybe even most people abroad who follow football to even really know who he is. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. And I mean, we've we've seen. Well, I mean, how old was Omar Gonzalez when he left? And he only left for Mexico. Yeah. Although, I mean, yeah, Liga MX. Liga MX is a step up from... Yes, it is. MLS. That's that's inarguable. But it's still not quite on the level of a lot of the European leagues. I no, say. I mean, you look at Andre Pierre-Gignac, and I think that he's a great example of a player who struggled to like really find his feet in the European leagues and has had a phenomenal career with Tigres in in Liga MX but yeah it's it's been a, a kind of a, you have to eat a little crow and swallow your pride and pull a Sebastian Giovinco and go to a league that's not quite as strong and then excel in it which is great you know it's great for Andre Pierre and Gignac but you know what he didn't do this summer he didn't win the World Cup of France no it's true Man, so. he's in his fourth season there already. Yeah, no, that's why I said. Yeah, he's made a, but he he will end up going down as arguably. I mean, you know, I know that he spent a lot of time with Marseille, and since he's French, perhaps that's really where he'll identify himself and be identified with ultimately. But I mean, I, he, I don't see him retiring, especially with his style of play that he can kind of be that big target man who can nonetheless like rip a curler from the edge of the 18 yard for another two, three seasons. And it's very likely that he retires with the most caps of any, any team that he played for in Liga MX, which I think, again, I think it's fine. I think that's, that's totally fine, but it really is, it's a choice when you move from one of the top flights like Ligue 1 in Europe to one of the leagues in the Americas, really anywhere in the Americas. It's a step down. Yeah. And, you know, you're you're choosing a smaller pond to be a bigger fish. That's true. And, I mean, he seemed to be sort of a special character, too. Uh, so I have no doubt that he's enjoying life in Mexico with good food and good drink, as he surely was in France. Mm-hmm. Well, they are both countries known for those two things. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Boy, if you held a gun to my head, I would probably choose wine over mezcal, but I would also probably choose tacos over beef bourguignon. So there you go. Yeah, and Mexican beer is better than French beer. So there you have it. Yeah, I, I don't even think I can name a French beer. Is Cronenberg French? Yes. Okay, it, there's that one. tastes like feet. <laughs> so we burned that bridge as far as sponsors goes. Ugh. Sorry guys. Yep. Sorry, we're, not sorry. With that, we're gonna wrap things up here as always. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keatsel's better, and then give one Yank one sweet a fall as well. And we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.